I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Well, what a weekend. Red cards, comebacks and proof that the All Blacks are human after all. With me to discuss all this is the former Scotland international Hugo Southwell. Hugo, how are you, mate? Yeah, all good. Good to be here. Interesting weekend, wasn't it? <laughs> it was a, certainly an interesting weekend. Uh, I mean, you've got that, that South African result. Absolutely outstanding. Everyone's been talking about the All Blacks and them being unbeatable. What a performance. Well, we'll talk with Tinas Delport, uh, the former South African uh, international, later on about that. But let's first of all talk about the headlines. Look, dominating. I mean, I've got so many texts and uh, emails about this from people, Rob Cheeseman, Phil Jay, Ben Goddard, and all, also all, all over social media, it's Will Spencer sending off. Yeah, and I, I was there yesterday at the Rico and... Uh... It's, it's, becoming, it's becoming an issue. You know, it's, it's what it's creating, which is becoming an issue. You, everything on social media, the referees are, are sort of conf, seem confused. And, and obviously for, for coaches to come out afterwards, you know, like Jordan Murphy, like Da Young. Da Young saying afterwards, I hope he doesn't get a, a ban. Well, surely that's undermining the fact he's got a red card. It is undermining it. And also, I think if he had his time back, um, Jordan Murphy wouldn't be seen on uh, footage basically laughing and considering a joke. Look, this is the issue. When you see stories that have come out about players weeping because they can't carry on because they've been concussed uncontrollably, then you understand what this issue is all about. It's about concussion. It's about protecting players from themselves, actually. And it's a very serious thing. Not only a question of player welfare, but for the game, because if something isn't done about this, and they can't, and they seem not to do everything they can. Then lawsuits will follow at some point, and that will be very, very expensive. And if you get the law involved, what will happen is it will take over and mandate what you have to do. You won't be able to do it on your own. You'll simply be told that you have to take every measure within your power, and one of them, obviously, is lowering the tackle height, if not to the nipple line, if not below that. The one thing I hate actually is former players, maybe current players, saying the game has gone soft. It's not gone soft. It's harder than it ever was. Players are bigger than they ever were. The contacts are massive now. The thing I don't understand is players are infinitely capable of adjusting their play on the field in the instant moment and certainly over a few weeks to other types of play which they know is risky and which they know might attract penalties. So why aren't they doing this one? I understand fully that there are difficulties that are borderline cases. But I come back to the point, if you've got a, an option and you decide to tackle slightly high, this sort of thing is within the risk element of it. And if you get caught, you're going to go. Yeah, and I would say on that note, the referee yesterday, whether people think he made the right decision or not, by the letter of the law and by the implications that have been put to them, 
for this sort of thing, it was the right call. You know, he hit him, he hit him around the head. It was, it was, you know, it was, there was a debate whether he actually wrapped his arms. He, he was, he, his shoulder was slipped up into his head and they've been told, as we saw the week before with George Smith as well, that they've been told if that happens, it's, it's a red card. It's a, it's a, it's, it's to the head. So, you know, it, it's, I don't think it's hard to argue with what, what's, what's hard is afterwards, you know, that it goes to a tribunal because you do with a, with a red card, you know, what happens after that? Because it, it, last year that may well have easily been a yellow card. Do you ban the player beyond that? I, I don't think you do. I think he's got his, his punishment and you move on. Well, provided you have consistency with the disciplinary process thereafter, then that should at least even out the feelings of, you know, well, I've been hard done to. I mean, taking the actual incident itself, people were saying, well, Taylor was at 90 degrees. He, it was so quick, he may have been slightly lower than when he released the ball. But he also, and you've got to remember, people have to remember this, when this happens, when a player is in the process of passing, he is vulnerable, as you know, because his body is exposed. He's not waiting for things. It's a different matter if he's charging with the ball and he's front up and he knows the challenge is coming and he can set himself, brace himself. But you know, players who are passing are not in that. They don't have that luxury. Yeah. And also, one thing to know, it was Tommy Taylor. And Tommy Taylor seems to have a very hard jaw because he got up, to be fair to him, he got straight back up. He got straight. He, there was absolutely no sort of trying to make out that it was, which is, uh, good. Which is really good. He just got straight back on his feet, play, played on. And, uh, you know, it was unfortunate. I think it wasn't a malicious uh, tackle, but by the letter of the law, he probably got it right. He had to go by uh, what they've been uh, told to do, the referees. But, but also another comment that came af- afterwards was because Taylor did this and he, he played it fair, so to speak, People saying, "Well, he wasn't hurt." Well, that's not the point. No, that isn't the point. That's not. That's not the reason it's there. No, that's certainly not the reason it's there. It's there to protect the players, and that you know whether he's hurt or not, it doesn't make any difference. This is an issue which is going to carry on because, in my opinion, World Rugby and the RFU and all the other unions have no choice but to see this through because the consequences of not seeing it through, as I say, will be at some point there will be a, a legal case about it, and we've all seen what's happened in the NFL. It's cost them well over $1.25 billion now, and they've had to change their rules. It hasn't gone down particularly well in the NFL either, but that is what will happen. And I, I do have some sympathy. I, when you look at tackles like the, um, what they call a seatbelt tackle, that to me is not dangerous at all, actually. But the fact is, you, you know, and um, Bassett, when he made that tackle, you saw from behind, he could have... He could have made that tackle any height he wanted. Yeah. Uh, he, he chose to go high. Yeah, and, and also there was, an, there was more tackles in the game. This is, this is another issue and another area. There was more tackles in the game. There was a tackle by Guy Thompson, um, which was quite high up as well. And, and it could have easily been a similar sort of scenario. It probably wasn't, didn't, it wasn't in, in isolation. There was a bit more bodies around it, so harder for the referee to see. But I think David Grassoff, who was the, the, the television official, had called on for the previous one. Well, if he's going to call on for the previous one, he should have done the same because there was so many replays after on that one and, and the crowd got, it, got excited as well. So it's just getting that consistency as well. Did we see enough from Manu Tuolangi in that game? I tell you what, in the first 15 minutes, he was absolutely phenomenal. I thought, here we go. This is, this is, he's back to his best. I suppose he, he drifted in and out of the game a bit too much for me, but, he, but he, you could see the flashes of brilliance that he does create. They, they got the ball in his hands early on. Whether... Leicester went out of the game um, in the sort of middle part, um, you know, where Wasp sort of get, gained a bit more control. I just wanted to note one thing. I, I think Jordan spoke about Leicester, the game being ruined by the red card. I thought 
it had a completely the opposite effect. I thought Leicester were completely the togetherness that they showed, mm-hmm. not just for Jordan as a coach who who you know I've played against for a long time, an absolutely outstanding bloke, and I'm really pleased for him. But they showed real togetherness, and when they went down to 14 men, they showed how much it meant to them, and they could easily have won it right to the last. You know, the difference was um, was Limas Apoaga's kicking. Uh, that was purely what it was. Brilliant uh, off the team, never looked like missing. And it was a, it was a brilliant game to watch the neutral. I'm not sure for Die Young it was quite so brilliant, <laughs> but for the neutral, it was outstanding. Well, with Tuolangi, the, ver- the very fact that he played, he played a full game and he's carrying on doing that, you know, is a welcome thing because he'll get better, obviously. Who knows where he'll be, you know, in uh, a few months' time, but it's got to be a welcome thing because he just create something, just provide something extra. He's, he just provides something different as well. I mean, he's a different a focal point for, for Leicester and for England. And, you know, he's an outstanding player. There's no denying it, but he needs game time. He's been out for so long on and off with different injuries and he'll just be wanting to get game time under his belt. If he can do that, then he's, he's an outstanding player. Uh, another win for Sarri is probably predictable. I think Saints probably did as much as they can at this stage of the season with the you know, developments that they're trying to put in place. Yeah, I mean, a good good result. Any any result of Franklin's Gardens under a, um, a revitalised uh, Saints side is good. And, you know, Saracen's missing Owen Farrell. You know, he pulled out with a slight abdominal strain and um, Alex Goode stepped in at 10. What's good about Saracen's is they can just call on people just to step into other people's shoes and still perform. You know, Billy Vinopola comes back, George Cruz, come, Cruz comes back. You know, they are a quality outfit. And uh, what I like is that their wingers are scoring tries as well. So they're obviously providing a really good platform. David Strettle with a couple of tries. Alex Lewington, who, you know, has come from sort of further back, but actually I rate his chances. You know, even getting into the England squad eventually really highly. He's a quality player in my, Alex Lewington, I think is one, is one to watch. Well, Quinns, he is, or he was, the England defence coach, Paul Gusted. He's got a lot of work to do with Quinns. It's a habitual problem. And when you've got players, a magnificent ability of Cocosinia, you you have to, you simply have to tackle better. Yeah, and it's one of those games you would have expect. I, I expected Quinns to win that one. Uh, you know, Bath sort of teetering a bit at the moment. Um, not quite sure um, whether they're going to sort of get the performance that the, you know Todd Blackadder wants to see from them. But they, they managed to hold on. They were quite, I think, uh, a long way in, in in the lead and just held on at the death. But uh, it's a huge result for Bath. But uh, and it does help when uh, Mercer's playing so well and. You know, showing that turn of speed and that you know that footwork. Yeah, and he's another and a great player to have in your team. He, he everything revolves around him at, uh, at eight, and you know he's just he's a, he's a quality uh, young player who's coming up through the ranks. Well, we'll come back to this, but right now, please say we can speak to Ali Hoggy, former Newcastle and Scotland uh, player. Hello, Ali. Hi, Brian. How are you doing? Not too bad. Narrow victory over Worcester, but down to thirteen men at one stage. Were you surprised that? Uh, Worcester took them so close? Um, no, it's also a, a difficult place to go. Um, obviously, Newcastle have lost the, f- the first two games, so the kind of pressure is on. And if uh, you kind of look at this up and coming result, uh, up and coming game, sorry, they've got obviously extra home this weekend and lost at home the following uh, weekend as well. So, um, the, the play thing of this win here, then I think it's hard to maybe see a win in the next couple of weeks, but. So I think the pressure was on to, to get that result and kind of get them off the mark because in the last couple of years when we've done well is when we've had a, a good start and kind of keep that momentum uh, going in the season and uh, we've sort of been unlucky in the last uh, couple of games as well and, and they play better equipped this year than they were, were last year. No, I think it's, it's one of those ones you just need to get that first win on the board no matter how ugly it was but I think the, the boys will be quite relieved to get it. Well, following on from last season, Newcastle were... Well, they were a surprise package, I thought. Uh, they've been developing. The style was very good. And I always thought that this season would be a bit more difficult for them because 
with, a, with the greatest respect, teams would give them more respect. And they would know this time around that Newcastle, you had the, uh, uh, the armory to, to, you know, to, to score tries. How much of the lack of performance this time around has been because of that? Or, or is there something else? Uh, well, I've retired. That's one ploy thing. Uh, of course. <laughs> Apart from the great number eight. Obviously. Obviously. It goes out uh, saying. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, no, I think um, obviously Saracens champions first up. Um, we've won. They actually played really well. I actually thought they were the, be- the better team in the day. They just didn't take their chances. Um, and Saracens, Saracens do were very, very clinical. Um, and, and they probably should have got at least a point out of that game, sort of losing bonus point, but kind of threw it away at the end. Then Leicester, they had a mad 20, 20 minutes or first nine, 14 minutes, I think it was, um, where they just, uh, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. Um, and then they called themselves back into the game and, and could, have, could have got something out of it. So it's not, they've not played badly. It's just they've had a, a, a lapse of concentration and, and they've, they've played the champions. So I'll be interested to see how they go this weekend against Exeter. Um, I think the, obviously they, they beat them, uh, we beat them up here last year. Um, and, and I agree with you. It's, it's that kind of, sort of second season syndrome, isn't it? That you, you get that one good season where everyone maybe uh, underestimates you, but then this season people start moving a bit more homework you respect you a bit more, maybe don't play as loosely as, as they would have once done. Um, and... And then that's kind of the result. It's, it's a lot harder to get to get those victories. Uh, what do you think Dean Richards will be saying to the team at the moment? Keep doing what they do. I think I thought the set piece of the weekend went very well. I think they got 100% lineouts, disrupted Worcester's ball uh, quite considerably, which is was it, a good building block. If you can win your own set piece and, and put pressure on theirs, then you're kind of there thereabouts and you're going to give yourself a chance in most games. I think he would just be saying stick to, to what we're, we've done. So we've not played badly in the previous two games uh, and, and obviously winning at the weekend. So just keep doing what we're doing, trust what we're doing. Um, I know we're struggling a little bit sort of for, for depth in the squad with, with, with a few injuries with them. Wilson out at Tighthead, Sam Lockwood and uh, John Welsh sort of props as well and Kyle Cooper's out to our front row as well. So they're kind of bare bones there. So we've got a couple of young guys that you probably wouldn't expect to play um, at the moment I haven't been sort of deputising one of them being sort of Sammy Mavinga who's been outstanding in the first two games to be fair I think he, he was man of the match uh, at the weekend there against Worcester um, so I think he, he's kind of stepped up and, and but it's those kind of that's when they start to struggle they, they get pick up too many injuries and um, I think they will struggle but they've got the front line out then they're capable of beating anybody Well you mentioned the uh, win against Exeter next up at Kingston Park as you also mentioned what will you have to do particularly well to beat them? Basically, keep the ball. Um, we played in the semi-finals last year. We defended very, very well in the first half, and every time we got the ball, we coughed it straight back up again. So then we ended up defending for four or five minutes. And extra exceptional at keeping the ball. That's that's their main strength. That they don't give you the ball, they starve your possession. So when you do have the ball, you need to do something with it. And teams force it, and then ultimately kind of capitalise that because then you're not see the ball again forever. Hugo, the rest of them, look, look, Exeter's win over Sale, it was, it was quite comprehensive. And Steve Diamond, it doesn't sound as though he's panicking, but uh, said, look, I'll take a rain check at Christmas. We need to have 12 or 14 points on the board. Uh, said, Rob uh, Baxter's pressures are different from mine. I think that's probably right. What does he mean by that, though, specifically, do you think? Well, I think uh, Rob Bax is obviously sitting at the top of the table and his pressures are to, his pressures are to keep there. And, you know, he's done a brilliant job in, in doing that. But extra, extra quality side. You know, they went through, that game actually was, was a lot tighter than the scoreline suggests. And for 60 minutes, they really had to battle uh, their way to, to victory. But, you know, extra at home is, is a, you're such a difficult beast to, to turn over. And, um, you know, Sell tried and, and they stuck at their guns. 
But again, it's it's proving difficult to get over the, the line for sale at the moment. They've got Wasps next week at, at um, up in sale. So it's going to be another tough game for them. Well, another West Country derby. And that's one of the things about Bristol's ascension. You get more West Country derbies, which is never a bad thing because of the passion that they do. I mean, I, early on, flattered to deceive a little bit, but uh, Gloucester, whilst they're, they're not quite there yet in the... X factor, which is consistency, which has been absent for God knows how many seasons. At one point, you know, someone reminded me on Twitter that two years ago, I tweeted something along the lines of, I swear that Gloucester practice effing things up when they're in winning positions. And I thought that this was going to be the case again. How much of their performance this far is down to Cipriani? Well, I think uh, less so in this game, uh, to be honest. I mean, he's had, he's had a brilliant start to the season um, and he was, you know, I think the first half they were they were poor Gloucester. You know, they were behind at half time, and then the penalty count just ramped up. Uh, I think it was 20 to 8 penalties against, you know, George Smith was uh, in the bad books of the referee and got simbinned as well. And it just took, it took a bit of momentum out of uh, that Bristol first half effort. If you give Gloucester a sniff this year, they have got the ability to, uh, you know, they've got quality throughout the side and, they will score points quickly against you if, if you let them in. And that's what happened. The discipline didn't help, you know, kick to the corners, um, put pressure on Bristol and then just that momentum told as the game went on. And in the end, it was an easy win, but uh, there's a lot more to come from Gloucester, I think. Well, you had the head-to-head of uh, Madigan and Cipriani. And Madigan, to me, you can see he's a quality player. I think he's still finding his way in the Premiership in this sense. When you have a championship team, you're given lots of opportunities. Your decisions on occasion or more occasions, can be the wrong ones and you'll still get away with it. Not the case in the Premiership. Your game management has to be much tighter. You have to make many more correct decisions. I think he will improve, but that, that, that to me is something that is not quite there at the moment. And I think from, from what you've just said there, I think the consistency of performance for the whole 80 minutes and as a fly half, you have got to be absolutely on your game for the whole time. And if you do that, you'd have to be flashy. I mean, I'll take uh, Lima Sapuaga for yesterday. He didn't really do anything overly flashy, but what he did do was very solid. He was just, and he kept, he kept everything, he held everything together for Was in a time, okay, defensively, they were, they, there were some weak performances, not throughout the team, but in attack and everything that he brought to the game was just a solidity. And I think as a 10, that is exactly what you need. And I think Madigan is just, you know, building into it. You know, he he had a good game. But I think, again, things can get better for him and for Bristol. Well, people often forget that, uh, you know, you spend probably half the game or thereabouts defending or getting ball from positions in your own 22. So when you're a fly half, the the things you do in retreat, the way that you exit, the uh, length of your kicks, if you make trying to find touch, the accuracy of your kicks if you try to put the ball uh, there for chasers, the hang time and so on, all those things are, you know, are absolutely crucial. And the really good fly halves, I mean, Sexton being a very good example, they do those spot on as well. Yeah, and that's what I'm talking about, just getting the basics. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you'll have your flare moments. You'll have your Cipriani passes, you know, that everyone goes, at, that's absolutely brilliant. But you need to get the basics right. And the basics need to be right on the whole uh, for, for the majority of the game. And if you've done that, then uh, the team can play off you. What do you think of Cipriani's England chances? I think he's yeah, he's right up there. You know, George Ford had a, a very good game yesterday in a losing cause. But I, I do think that, uh, you know, Cipriani, he did well in South Africa. 
He's, you know, he's, he's almost got the jersey at the moment. Yes, okay, there's been a misdemeanor uh, since yeah, then. Yeah, probably better he didn't get arrested again, actually. Yeah, <laughs> but at the same time, he started the season, he's answered some critics, and he started the season very well. They said they would look at him and his performances, Eddie Jones said he'd look at it, his performances on the pitch and his performances in the first three weeks have been very good. So he's got to be right there. Well, Farrell gives you length of kick, he gives you solidity. Ford is great on the front foot, but actually for, you know, forcing a game which... If you come off the bench, you probably need to do something. He is alone and he stands out in that respect. Yeah, there is an argument to say that. There's also an argument to say if, if you come off the bench and you force it too much, it can, it can go the other way and it can have the opposite effect. So I, I think that there's always been a cause to say, as long as you're playing well coming up to the, the, the Autumn Internationals and you've been the guy in possession of the shirt, it'd be harsh not to pick him, I, I think, because I think he's playing well and I think he's playing well enough. So I, I think it'd be harsh not to start Danny Cipriani. And the other thing, and, and though this is a little tangential and most people don't mention it, I think his fortunes actually depend quite a lot on whether players like Tuolangi or Tio are fit for extended periods because if they are present in the centre, you get a different dynamic from whether you have to play an Owen Farrell or a Henry Slade. I totally agree with that. There's a, there's all, it's always about balance. I mean, you look at back rows, it's very much to do with balance. Back three is to do with balance. I mean, it, it, you work as a unit these days. It's not about um, picking just individuals at 10, 12 and 13. That will be coming straight at the forefront of Eddie Jones's mind. What, is, what, what sort of game plan, what sort of style is he going to go with um, for these autumn internationals? These are the games that you need to trial people. You need to give people the opportunity as Steve Hansen said, you know, you've, he's created a squad now. He's not going to pick anyone else outside that squad. He's just going to give those guys an opportunity to grab their place in the World Cup team. And you know, that's what Eddie Jones will be doing. That's what he'll be looking at. Uh, and this is the time to, to try his, his units as such going into the Autumn Internationals. Well, time to turn our attention to the other side of the world because the Rugby Championship is going on apace. I'm very pleased to say we can speak to a regular contributor to the podcast. It's Tinas Delport, the former Springbok. Hello, Tinas. Hi, Brian. How are you doing? Now then, were you on the table? Were you on the bar? Were you dancing around in the garden on Saturday? <laughs> dancing wherever you can dance. <laughs> well, at, at some point, the All Blacks were going to come unstuck. And they did have a period where, for 15 minutes, they made a lot of errors which you don't normally see. How much of that was down to South Africa and their pressure? I think everything was down to South Africa and their pressure. Um, you know, if you look at the statistics of the game, New Zealand absolutely dominated the attacking side of it. Um, you know, they had 624 meters carried. They had 215 carries, you know, something like 75% possession, 79-odd percent territory. So, you know, in terms of trying to play their game, they certainly, um, you know, set out to to play their, their, you know, their wonderfully attacking brand of game. But um, they were forced to make the, pressure, uh, the, the mistakes through you know, uh, pure pressure by, by South African defenders. Um, you know, two, of the, two of the five tries South Africa scored were um, you know, from pressure that was applied, one through, a, through an intercept and, and the, you know, the first one really where Vili LaRue just kept on putting pressure once you know, the ball was kicked out and forced Jordi Barrett to throw in um, quickly and, and sort of straight into him. So it was just 80 minutes of pure, um, you know, pure defensive passion by the Springboks. And, you know, how often, 
often we see that, you know, the passion runs out after 30 minutes, 40, 50, 60 minutes. And, you know, if you're a skillful team, um, you'll always trump, trump the passion. But if that passion lasts for, you know, for 80 minutes, it's always going to be difficult. And um, it was a Herculean effort by, by South Africa to, um, you know, to put New Zealand under pressure and, you know, steal the win, really. I mean, there's, um, you know, the, the All Blacks had a, quite a few opportunities to, towards the end to, to turn the game around again and, and, and seal, the, seal the victory from themselves. Well, I'll tell you what um, seems to have occurred to me. The, the Springboks have got back the physical presence through players, superb players like, you know, uh, Marx, uh, Detroit and so on. After Clerk is playing well. But what they've got now, you know, in players um, uh, like Deontay, yeah. they've got players who are really quite slick. They're not the, not the power players, but players who are uh, incisive. They can, I just, a very vernacular thing. I liken it to having the bludgeon, which South Africa have always had, to, to a rapier and a, you can fill it, you now with the, you know, with backs that have, have, have that X factor. No, they certainly, they certainly do offer a lot of the X factor and speed. You know, Deante yes. is unbelievably fast. Um, you, you know, he's a finisher. Whenever he gets, whenever he gets the ball, it's exciting to see him run. Vili Leroux um, is continuing his form that he that he had for Wasps over here in the Premiership. Um, you know, there's guys that are injured called Mapimpi, um, Sabun Corsi that played, of course, played against England in the June International. So they certainly, um, certainly have added that that sharp edge, especially out wide. Um, I think the Islander at 12 offered a lot in terms of extra carries and a bit of footwork. So just taking a, a bit of pressure away from the forwards. But, you know, that was a, a phenomenal performance by the Springbok pack. And, you know, South African rugby always prides itself on, on the physicality, on the work rate of the pack. And you look at what Peter Steff did to a Franco Mostert. These guys, Franco Mosca, 24 tackles. Peter Steff did to a 28 tackles. Warren Whiteley, who's not really known as a physical player, uh, the number eight, had 20 tackles. So the amount, I mean, you know, the three of them made more tackles than the, than the whole all-black team combined. So, you know, just show how much it meant uh, to them to, to restore some South African pride and some Springbok pride uh, in world rugby. Tinas Hugo here. How's it going, mate? All good, mate. All good. Uh, mate, just a couple of questions. Um, uh, first of all, Rassi Erasmus, obviously a huge credit has to go to him. You know, he's come in and he seems to have injected a belief, but also a bit more direction in their play. For me, there was a, a couple of times in, in the game where as much as they've got the physical presence, Africa have already always had the physical presence. They've seen their offloading game. There was the, it created a bit of extra space out wide um, for those flair players that we've been talking about. Yeah, they certainly evolved the game. Even under Alistair Kutsia, they tried to implement sort of a, a 2-4-2 system in terms of the phase attack, you know, a bit more ball-in-hand approach. I think what Rossi has done well is sort of um, regaining a little bit of the Springbok tradition in terms of, you know, the set-piece play, uh, the big forward runners, runners, but also evolving it and uh, and just bringing in that that wider play into. I think we lost a little bit of identity in the last year or two, trying to be too expansive and and to fit almost to fit in too much uh, to the all black type of play, where they sort of bringing it back a little bit, where we still have the driving line, uh, you know, the driving more from line out, the, the strong scrum, uh, the big forward runners crashing in. But then when the opportunity comes, um, you know. They, they're willing to take the ball wide um, and create it. It's, it's still a work in progress. I mean, by no mean, means is, is this a complete Springbok side. You know, you just look at the previous two rounds against um, Argentina away, Australia away, um, 
you know, that was was disappointing showings. But certainly, um, if you look at that performance, you you'll be very positive uh, for the remaining two rounds of the rugby championship. And and this is really going to be the test of Rassi um, and his team is can they replicate that performance or some of that performance coming two weeks time when they play Australia. Uh, and then New Zealand for the final final match in the in the rugby championship. Yeah, and just that last thing I just wanted to ask you it was on the players that play overseas. You know, you've got your Fafta Clerk and Willie Larue and Cheslin Colby playing at Toulouse. How important are they? You know, Cheslin Colby got an interception of the weekend, but we've seen what he can do at, at Toulouse—an open play off counter attack. How important are those guys to the team coming back into it? No, massively. They they bring an immense amount of experience um, to the team. A lot of new ideas and, and you know new approaches to the game. The only thing that I'm very concerned about is that they're talking about Villiers coming uh, playing uh, you know playing for Wasps this weekend and then flying back. We saw poor Francois Lowe um, had to fly from Australia, uh, from Argentina, come play for Bath, and then he was back on the plane to to Australia and New Zealand. So I mean the, these guys poor circadian rhythms and. You know, body clocks are so off. So um, they they're going to have to be managed. These these players that play overseas have, have played a full northern hemisphere um, you know northern hemisphere competition um, season. They've gone straight into um, you know straight into internationals, um, and they haven't had a break. So uh, you know, looking at looking at the World Cup, which is uh, you know just over a year ago. It's great to have these guys. It's great to utilize their experience. A guy like Dwayne Vermeulen that's come in, but you're gonna have to be, you know, you're gonna have to manage them. Otherwise, they are gonna fatigue and they're gonna break down. There's no way these guys will be on the same form um, this time next year if they don't have a, a proper rest break uh, and, and you know, time to recover. Uh, Tim,s before you go, just a word about Australia, Argentina. I don't think Australia played particularly badly, but I do think that Argentina found something that they've been missing, well, probably since they arrived on the big stage in international rugby. All the rote things that you can practice time and again, they've always been good at those up front. Uh, scrum's been powerful. But for the first time in quite a long time, they looked completely at home when the game broke down, when it became loose. People like Delegai, when they made the breaks, they were instinctive running lines of support in uh, the two flankers, Matera and Kramer. Good support lines, good hands. And the, their, their form is making England's group pool in the World Cup look more and more difficult. It certainly, it certainly does. I mean, they, they were outstanding against South Africa, um, you know, in, in the home leg, their home leg against them. Um, and they've backed up that performance against Australia. You know, these guys are now the second year into playing super rugby as a team. I think Ledesma... Uh, coming in as coaches made a huge difference. It seems to have galvanized the team. Um, you look at the shambles, um, you know, when Wales toured there uh, in June and, and the way they've resurrected and, and turned it all around. But they do play a, a really um, attractive brand of rugby. You look at their skill execution. It's very crisp, very um, sharp on the passes. Sanchez, I think, at 10 is, is, ha- is having an absolute blinder yeah. the last two, three, um, three weeks. He's really controlling the way they play really well. And then Dalgi on the wing is, is a real find for me. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's quick. He's very balanced runner. Um, you know, and he's, and he's very confident. And you see the, the type of tries he scores. You know, it's, it's, it's great to see um, Argentina scoring those tries. But again, for me, the player on the weekend was Thomas Lavanini. 
you know, he made a massive difference against South Africa too at home and in Argentina. And you, you, you just uh, that that try saving tackle he made on Israel Folau right in the yeah. in the dying minutes. Um, you know, from the set piece he got out there and he made the big hit on on Izzy Folau. I mean, they they you know they've brought that passion that they always have and and they're backing it up with skills now. So they are certainly going to be um, you know contenders, and that pool is not going to be easy at all. Tina's got to leave it there, but that's great. As always, thank you very much. That's Tina Stelport, the former Springbok. Hugo, uh, you were at Edinburgh over the weekend, were you? I was, yeah, on Friday night, yeah. Now, Richard Cockhorse had something to say, as he, as he often does have something to say, let's, uh, let's face it. What do you think? What do you make of his comments about the refereeing? I, I think it was born out of frustration. I mean, Edinburgh was so dominant in that game. Connacht came to to spoil the party. They came to not overly play much rugby. The weather wasn't great. It was a bit of a, a drizzly night. It rained most of the day. And Edinburgh were trying to play. They they they've 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 come to into this season after the confidence of last season, getting to the playoffs, and they want to play an exciting brand of rugby. And they weren't really allowed to do do that. And I think it was purely born out of frustration. Yeah, okay, there was a few decisions that went against Edinburgh, but at the same time they they just didn't quite get far enough ahead in the game uh, for Richard Cockrell to be, to be happy early enough. Well, one of the things that appeared to be uh, moving in the right direction last year was the form of the Welsh regions. This year, uh, not the case at all. And it, it might be a long season for um, the Dragons and the Ospreys if they don't, well, if they don't start to turn up. Yeah, and I think there was a bit of a debate about the side that Osprey sent to Munster uh, uh, and whether it was their full strength side. Well, and it wasn't. Where, well, there we go. <laughs> a few guys rested and, you know, that that can't be the case. You look at the performance, you look at the games over the weekend um, in the Premiership and, you know, you've got a 41-35 and, you know, 37-32. It's, it's going right down to the wire and everyone's competing. Worcester, Newcastle, 23-20. And when you see a scoreline like the, the, the Munster um, one against the Ospreys, it, it's, it's pretty sad. Ospreys aren't that side. They're not a side that gets beaten by 50 points um, against Munster. So, and likewise, Leinster beating Dragons by 52 points to 10. Despite a wonder try, if you haven't seen it from Jordan Williams, it's an absolutely brilliant try. So um, in a losing side, in, in a side that gets beaten very, got beaten very easily. But um, yeah, it's a shame that there's such a big discrepancy in some of the scores. Again, Glasgow winning easily in the end uh, over in South Africa against the Cheetahs with, with a brilliant second half. But uh, I think sides have got to put out full strength sides every week. I'll tell you what we did see, and this is consistent with vast improvements last year. Although Benetton went down 38-29 and Zebra, Zebra got the victory over Cardiff Blues, their performances last year and this year, they're just much more consistent, the better. Yeah, much better. And I, I think that, um, yeah, you've got to give... Uh the sort of whole setup in Italy, you know, Conor O'Shea's gone over there. He's, he's, he's trying to build it from, from, from bottom up, from grassroots uh, and through the system in, in the um, sides of Benetton and Zebra. And, you know, Zebra came back from quite a long way down against Cardiff and won in the last minute with a try from Fabiani. So, you know, full credit to them. They are definitely getting better. Uh, Benetton, we've seen an improvement over the last two years. And if those two teams can put in performances, that will only help the Italian national side. Well, I think, this incarnate, this time round, this is probably, and this might be a bit precipitous saying this, this is probably the last chance Italy as a whole and their game uh, in that country have to get it right and to be more competitive because there were serious questions being asked about whether they deserve their place in the Six Nations. Uh, Conor O'Shea was quite clear when he said he doubted they, they did at times. And he was quite clear when he went over the, the root and branch reforms, which he appears to be 
carrying out were necessary. But if they don't get this t- right this time, there will be a big clamour for other countries, Georgia just being one example, you know, to replace them. I think so, yeah. But what I would say on that is Conor O'Shea is the perfect guy to go over there and, and give it the last crack. And if he can't do it, then I don't think it's ever going to happen because uh, he's a brilliant coach, he's a brilliant bloke, uh, and he will go in there and give it absolutely everything to turn it around. So it may be their last hope, but he's the right guy to be there to do it. Just a quick word on uh, Scotland, the World Cup countdown, a year and three days. Their group is, uh, on paper, it looked to be okay, um, but the form of other teams... Perhaps it might not be as straightforward. No, it's never going to be straightforward. I think you'd almost rather, uh, you know, a group of like England's where you've... Re- oh, no, I'm not sure you will. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, you've got, you've got Ireland in there who are obviously, uh, you know, the form side from, from the Six Nations through, through the last couple of years in, uh, in the Northern Hemisphere. So that's going, to be a, that's going to be a tough one. But, you know, there's, there's, there's clear signs in both pro teams. Um, Glasgow, for, for a number of years, have put in some brilliant performances over some quality sides. For me in Scotland, uh, it's still about the consistency of performance. It's still about, in a World Cup, back it up week in, week out. Um, and players are starting to show it now. There's, there's far more depth than uh, when, we, when we played. When we played, if our 23 went on the pitch, we struggled. Now, you know, you can, you can name 35 guys in Scotland that can go out there and do a job. And some of those guys are, are really on form at the moment. Blair Kinghorn is a guy, I'm biased because I played fullback, but I watch him. Obviously, Stuart Hulk is going to play fullback, but Blair Kinghorn has to be in the side. He is a quality player. He's he's got strength. He's got he's got pace. He always breaks through the line. I mean, at the weekend, he set up a try from just uh, ghosting through. He, he's just got something that looks effortless, and uh, and I love watching him from a Glasgow perspective. You can't. I mean, it's 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 amazing that we were five years ago going right. Our strength and depth at ten is not that great, and now you've got Finn Russell and Adam Hastings, who has come you know in the on the summer tour had a great tour. And he's, he's been man of the match against Munster and now this weekend just gone against the Cheetahs. So it's great to have that depth suddenly in Scotland that wasn't there before. Well, the challenges for Gregor Townsend are different, say, just for example, from those facing Eddie Jones, because Gregor Townsend virtually knows what talent he has. Um, he can't go much outside that. Therefore, he's got that squad to, to work with um, and he's got the consistency of selection. And what he doesn't have, he doesn't have the ability to just pluck some next player off the line to try and solve problems. He's got to go back to coaching, which he's very good at. Yeah, and what he's got to do is he's got to get the absolute maximum uh, out of the players he's got. And that's that's about the man management. And again, we talk about uh, Conor O'Shea being the perfect guy for Italy. Gregor Townsend is the perfect guy in that sense. He's coached me, you know, this is set first time round. He coached me as a Scotland backs coach. And uh, again, he, he, he's got all the attributes in terms of not just his coaching, but his man management as well. And that's so important uh, these days. You've got so many coaches around you, so many specialist coaches, but you need the man manager. And, uh, and Gregor's great at that. And I think you'll get the best out of the players. Well, time now to switch our attention to the women's Tyrrell Premier 15s. I'm very pleased to say we can speak to Shauna Brown of Harlequins. Uh, hi, Shauna. Hi, uh, Very welcome announcement in, in one sense, Premier 15s. Uh, RFU announcing they're going to reintroduce the contracts for the 15 side to make them fully professional. 28 full-time deals from January the 1st, along with the seven elite squad arrangements. Th- this must be a good development. Yeah, definitely. It's always, it's always good to make steps forward but this is a massive change a massive change that's been due over the years mm-hmm. and it's just been fought for by our by our player reps like everyone's been on our side and just trying to get this done and it's nice to know that it's finally it's actually happening and it's, it's been released in the press 
and like, you just can't believe that, that it's actually happening. I, I've, as you know, I've not been playing rugby that long, mm. but even for me, it feels like it's been a long time coming. Just when you see the quality and standard of all the girls and knowing that they've always had to have full-time jobs or, or have jobs of some sort just to be able to live. And now it's almost going to be a luxury that you can, you don't have to worry about sort of where, where your paycheck is coming from while trying to play international rugby because it'll be one of the same. Oh, well, you, I think you played part of a double header at the Stoop. I imagine that's a bit different from Surrey Sports Park. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> um, even like you say, walking in, we've got, we was under the, the floodlights because it was a 5.30 kickoff and straight after the men against Bath. So, and our men lost. So it was almost on us a little bit more pressure for us to for us to go out and perform. Well, you probably put more tackles in than the men. I mean, well, almost certainly, I would think so. Yeah, <laughs> I, won't, I, I won't ask you to be. I won't ask you to betray your male colleagues. Look, but I tell you what is. Uh, I do want you to explain. How do you come back from fourteen points down with five minutes to go? Sheer grit, determination, character, composure, and just the need to win, the want to win. Mm-hmm. I guess, and doing it for each other as well. It's not. It's not just about ourselves. It's, it's all about doing it for each other, not letting each other down, not letting our coaches down. And our halftime talk was probably one of almost, I don't know if the best is the word, but it was very, um, here you go, this is this is not good enough, basically. And yep. it's time to show what you're made of rather than just sitting back and carrying on as you are. Well, I have to say, your coach, she she frightens me. <laughs> she frightens me. She frightens <laughs> most people. She's a powerful woman in, yes. in all, all senses of the word. Well, that can obviously can sometimes uh, and sometimes work. One of the things I've noticed in uh, this year, at least so far, is that the big gap between some of the sides seems to have narrowed. What's your impression? Yeah, well, as you say, we we drew against Bristol Bears. Number one, how many draws do you see in rugby is, is very rare. But then, even our first game, that was never decided until the final whistle as to who was going to win. It was going either way. Some of the other results that have come in. Loughborough had a big win on the weekend just gone and there's been I guess there's been a lot of player change around but also people just getting settled mm-hmm. and what with last year there was brand new teams coming in like the Loughborough Lightnings and the Waterloos who necessarily weren't weren't so much of a team before but now they're, they're settling in finding, these, finding themselves finding each other how each other works and it's just it's all good for the game because no, nobody really wants to see a league where it's a two or three horse race and you kind of know what the outcome's going to be of each game, let alone the whole league. So it's all good for the sport, good for spectators to, to come and watch. And it's character building for everyone because, again, it's, it's no good to just go in thinking that you're probably going to win this game pretty easily. That, that's, not, that's, not good for, that's not good for you as a sports person in general. Well, you so all, all the competition is great. We also saw that it was televised. Um, one of the games was televised, a Loughborough Lightning game and on, on Sky Sports. What sort of effect, does, if any, does that have... When you're playing, if knowing you're going to be um, on national TV or cable TV, uh, for me personally, I try and not not to let it phase me. And it, it's just it's just another game, another game that we want to go out and execute our game plan. Another game that we want to go out and win. And um, some girls sort of feel it in different ways. I, I know a couple of my friends they'll, they'll be sick on the pitch just before kickoff. It's pretty normal, sort of the normal belly aches and little nervous bellies and butterflies. But I'd say you don't really, me personally, don't really notice the cameras there. Um, at the stoop, the, the biggest thing you notice is the crowd and the noises mm-hmm. and when something good or bad happens and you get you get the cheers or the woos from the crowd. But I, me personally, I just try and treat every game the same in, in a way of like I'm out there to do my best. I'm out there to help my team do our best and we're out there to win. Well, when you uh, think of Saracens, inevitably 
the, the Cleal um, twins uh, feature and probably Cleal again, uh, hat trick. Just how good, good good are they? They are very good, both of them. It's, I, I love playing against them because it's always a test of personal character. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd say like, we're pretty similar in terms of just sort of size and attributes. I mean, Poppy's a lot better, well, both of them are a lot better at rugby than me. They've got great hands, they've got good footwork to go with it. I just see it more as a challenge, just coming up against someone who's maybe physically just as powerful as me sometimes. Um, mm. And I just, I love playing against them. I love playing against anyone who's better than me, to be honest, because it just gives me a chance to raise my game and, and see see what I've got. Well, Shauna, thank you very much. Uh, great to speak to you. Please come back and speak to us later on in the season. No worries, I will. I didn't come across it by chance because I knew it was on, but it was slightly unusual to see women's rugby being broadcast. But uh, And obviously, look, there are differences, huge differences, and everyone knows that. But the important thing for me was I very soon, well, almost immediately stopped thinking, oh, th- these, are, these are women playing, and started thinking that was wrong, that was good, you know, uh, that was a bad option, and so on. Yeah, and it's, it's great to see. I mean, it's great to see it on Sky. It's, it's great to see that the level um, has improved just from after the first year of the Tyrrell's Premier 15s. Um, you know, Shauna mentioned it there, the, 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 the togetherness of, of sides that weren't necessarily ready for it or, or prepared as well for it last year. You know, you saw the result from Waterloo beating Richmond. You know, they, they are now ready for it and it's, it's far more competitive and it's great to see. And the announcement today just tops that all off. Um, you know, the 1st of January, there's going to be 28 full-time professional uh, ladies with, with the RFU. It's great news. I know the RFU get a lot of sticks, sometimes rightly and sometimes wrongly, but I do think they ought to be congratulated for supporting this. They're one of the unions that are able to, but do that. And although... Yes, they are a, a relatively rich union. They've had some financial cash flow problems and they have so many demands from all different aspects of the game. They want to do more, they can't do it all. But I think in terms of the future of the game, uh, investing here, which is relatively cheap because these salaries, let's face it, are not huge, is something, and that's the way forward. Yeah, it, it had to be a priority. And I know that, uh, you know, Steve Brown has made it a priority. There has been, you know, chat about the, the financial cash flow issues. and But but I, I could see that there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes to make this uh, make this happen. And yeah, it has happened now. Um, everyone can, uh, you know, be pleased about that because it's a huge step forward. Uh, and everyone can look forward to that, to that day on January the 1st um, for when it happens. Well, let's just look forward very quickly to the next round. Pick of the ties, Saracens lost, it got to be. Yeah, it's got to be Saracens Gloucester. I mean, Gloucester. This will be a real test of, of where Gloucester are at. You know, you go to you go to Allianz Park. You know, on the four G there, it, I think it will suit Gloucester. You know, the way they like to play with Cipriani uh, running the show at ten. But that is uh, that's a mouth watering clash. I think that could be a real high scoring game. Uh, will be a test for Newcastle and again uh, to see how they are doing where they are in in this particular season. Uh, Bath, Northampton, and Bristol Queens. Who knows? Who knows what might happen in those? Sides that, uh, well, whether you say they're developing, they've all got uh, issues with consistency, capable of playing you know, extremely well at times, but uh, not consistent enough for anyone who bets to have any certainty at all, as far as I can see. No, there's a lot of inconsistency in, in the results, even just look at them from this weekend. You know, there was, there was a few away um, wins this weekend, which is, which is, which is not normal. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's some there's some some great games next week, and obviously you've got the the Was Sale game as well. It's a huge game for Sale, probably bigger than it is for Was, even though Was uh, will, will be desperate to win it. But for Sale, it's it's a must win. That's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with the Telegraph. 
Thank you very much to my co-host, Hugo Southwell, and as always, my producer, Abby Patterson. Please do subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss an episode. And please write a review while you're there too, because that will help more people get there. And for now, it's goodbye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.